Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. to see all of you here as we launch a brand new year together. As Rob said, we welcome everyone watching online. We're glad to have you uh, viewing our service today. And you're going to be very pleased that you came to church today because one of our favorite preachers in all the world is here. Dr. Jerry Thorpe is able to be with us. Now, it's very special that Jerry can be here. Normally, he's here at Thanksgiving. But two months to the day, two months ago to the day, Jerry broke his hip and had a full hip replacement. Now, he's never really shared with us how that happened. Uh, I heard rumors that he was doing the floss dance for his grandchildren. I don't know if that's true. Somebody said that a friend in Colorado sent him brownies. I don't know if that's true either. I would never start a rumor like that that might have influenced his fall. But I'm just so glad that he could be here. He's recuperating well, he's doing wonderful. And you are gonna, if you've never heard Jerry, you're gonna be blessed. For four decades, he pastored one of the largest churches in West Texas, and he serves now on the Board of Trustees at Liberty University. And I'm just so glad that my mentor and friend can be a part of this weekend service, and you're gonna be blessed by him. That boy did not say that I had been eating brownies from Colorado, did he? It's not what he said. I know Bill wouldn't say that. Hey guys, don't ever break your hip. Because if you do, you're probably doing something dumb like I was doing. Acting like I was 32 instead of 82. Took my first ride in an ambulance. Went through surgery. They did unmentionable things to my side and bone breaking stuff and finally got me back to my room and after a few hours, a rehab terrorist came into the room (laughs) who said, Mr. Thorpe, it's time for you to get up and walk. And I said, no, 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 I'm not Mr. Thorpe. He's on the next floor up there. That was the most audacious thing I'd ever heard in my life to get up and walk. But thankfully, I'm moving along. I'm preaching sitting down. Last Sunday was the first time I spoke this morning, but uh, delighted always to be at the Met. Thank you. The title of the message this morning is The Elusive Peace. Peace in our world is very elusive. It's in short supply. In fact, I want to ask you a few questions. You answer me verbally out loud. Just let go and answer, okay? Is there in our world international peace? No. Do do we have in America national peace? Okay. Uh, Now this next one's a little harder. Do we in America have political peace? No way. Some of you said a curse word, didn't you? Bleep, no, we don't have political peace. Do we have economic peace? Did we have peace last night that the Cowboys could beat the Seahawks? Did we have that? (laughs) And of course, we have far too little personal peace, and that's where I'm going this morning. I like to talk about peace because the Bible talks a lot about peace. 400 references to peace in your Bible. Six times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. 
And Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. And we've just come through Christmas and on that first Christmas Eve, angels and a heavenly host sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God said his entrance into this world is the promise of peace. But where do we find that peace? Well, I have four points for you that I know there's a little outline if you want to make notes. Uh, I have four thoughts. First of all, we're going to talk about what is the meaning of God's peace? First of all, God's peace has nothing to do with the circumstances of your life. Most of us only really know peace without God when all the circumstances are right. The job's strong, the finances are good, everybody's health's good, everybody's getting along good, you know, the weather's good. You know, and the, and the ducks are, all our ducks are in a row. And so we feel like we have peace. But God's peace is peace even when your world is falling apart. God's peace is peace in the midst of the storm. God's peace in your life is not the absence of conflict, that everything always goes right. God's peace is the presence of righteousness. I love Psalms 23, one of the most famous Psalms, of course, in the Bible. Uh, it's like the story of a, of a believer's life. It begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a decision you make. I'm a sheep, I'm messed up, I get dirty, I wander to the wrong place, I'm not really able to defend myself. I really need somebody. And so God is my shepherd. It's a decision you make to receive God as the leader of your life. It's not God is my co-pilot. God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. If God's a co-pilot, you're making all the decisions. He's just along for the ride. No, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he talked about the good things in life when God is your shepherd. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness. But there's conflict that comes. So in verse four, King David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it came time to die. And David said, I'm going to walk through this valley. I don't go to death and stay there. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow. The shadow of a, a dog could not bite you. The shadow of a gun could not shoot you. It's the shadow of death as a believer. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because you are with me. I don't walk through that by myself. I think often of when my dad died. I loved my dad so much. He was such an influence on my life. He was such a godly man, such a good man. And I'm sitting beside his bed and dad's dying. Hospice nurse told me dad was dying. Some of you have been through this. You understand how difficult that is. But in saying to my dad, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't want to turn him loose. It was, I, I just couldn't say go. I said, Dad, hey, stay, stay with me. But I had peace because I knew where my dad was going. I knew who he had believed. I, I knew what was important in his life and that was Jesus Christ. And I knew when dad breathed his life on this earth, the angels would take him to heaven. And I also had peace because I know that same God and one day I will go also. 
So even in the midst of my dad's death, I had peace because we weren't alone. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. The meaning of God's peace is a conviction that whatever's going on in your life, God is there with you and he is in control. Now here's a picture I've showed the last two hours. It's pretty, uh, pretty interesting, I think. There it is. Uh, the man in the picture in the dark glasses, that's Sean Cunningham. And the little boy that's just waking up because a bat's fixing to hit him in the head. Can you see the bat there in front of his daddy's hand? Now, Landon, is, he's nine-year-old. It's his birthday. He's at his first major league game. It's a spring training game between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Atlanta Braves. And, and Landon's taking a picture and he's texting it to his mama. And it bat, there's Danny Ortiz who takes a huge swing and the bat gets away and it's cartwheeling right toward Landon. I want to ask you three questions about the picture. Is Landon even aware the bat's coming toward him? No, no. Well, look around at the other people. Is anybody else in that picture concerned about Landon? No, they're all. Who's the one guy in the picture that's got his eye on Landon? His father his father. What a great example. I wonder how many times in my life I'm driving, I, I, I've got my mind on something else, I'm texting, I'm, I'm doing something, you know, my head is gone, maybe there's a bat, but there's somebody with me that's in control, and that's my father. Pastor Ed Young in, in Second Baptist of Houston, which is a huge church, told a story that really touched me about a young black man on a slave auction block in Charleston, South Carolina. Slavery is a, a despicable thing that any man under any circumstances would take another man out of his home and sell him. That, that is despicable. It's, it's a shame that it happened in our nation. But on this occasion, when one group of slaves was being considered one of the buyers said, what's different about that young man? He seems taller of a serene countenance. He carries himself with such dignity. Why is that? And the auctioneer said, back in Africa, he was the son of a king and he hasn't forgotten it. Love that. He was the son of a king. He doesn't forget who he belongs to. Sometimes Christians do not have peace because we forget who we belong to. Let's talk about the maker of peace. Where does peace come from? Where do we get this peace? Well, the first step in finding this peace is to find personal peace with God. To find the peace of God, you must have peace with God. Keep those two terms in mind. And we need to make peace with God because we're all separated from a holy God because of our sins. That began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve and the biblical story fell, was put out of the garden because they rebelled against God. They refused to let God rule their life and lead their life, which is what sin is. No, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm, I am the captain of my fate, right? Romans 5.12 on your screen. Therefore, just as one man's sin entered the world and death came through sin, so death spread to all men 
because we're all sinners. We're all messed up. I'm messed up, you're messed up, we're all messed up. We've all rebelled against God. And that's what sin is. So how do we make peace between a messed up sinful man like Jerry Thorpe and a holy God? Well, here's a great verse in Colossians. This is kind of the biblical story of salvation and redemption in this one verse. The Bible says, and I've got some parentheses, make sure we get all our people straight in the verse. For God was pleased to have all of his, that's God's fullness. Everything God is dwelt in him, and that's Jesus. So when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about just a man, a little exceptional man, a little more moral, a little white. No, no, no. We're talking about God in flesh. God was pleased to have all that he is dwell in Jesus. And through him, that's Jesus, reconciled to himself. God said, I sent my son into the world with all of my fullness and all of my power to show people what I'm like. And through him, I will reconcile, give the opportunity for reconciliation to all men, whether things on earth or things in heaven, <coughs> by making peace through his blood. That's Jesus's blood that's shed on the cross. That's what John 3.16 is about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <laughs> what Jesus was was God's peace child. In 1962, a young couple named Don and Carol Richardson and their six-month-old son, Steve. <laughs> this is a very, very young couple. <laughs> They've got just a child six months old. And they left what we live in ordinarily in the modern world to live in virtual isolation and begin a long struggle to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a cannibalistic, headhunting, Sawi, S-A-W-I, tribe in Indonesia. And try as he could, he could not make those people understand the gospel message, especially the significance of Christ's atoning death on the cross. Because these villages, I said they were cannibalistic and headhunting, they were constantly fighting among themselves. So treachery and vengeance and revenge and murder were highly honored in that culture. In fact, Don Richardson said, the first time I told him the story of the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they honored Judas because Judas sold him out and they understood that. So Don Richardson had the challenge of trying to, to make them understand God's peace child. And it happened because these tribes had a legendary custom that if one village gave a baby boy to another village, that peace would prevail between these two villages as long as that child lived. It was called a peace child. And so Don Richardson seized upon that story as an analogy of the reconciling work of Christ. Christ, he said, is God's divine peace child that he's offered to mankind. And because Christ lives eternally, his peace will never end. And amazingly, that analogy unlocked the door and thousands of those tribesmen came to Jesus Christ and he wrote a, 
bestseller book called The Peace Child. So what happens when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior? What happens? Look on the screen, Romans 5.1. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Let's stay there just a second. Justification means just as if you had never sinned. It means to be declared righteous, past, present, and future. To be justified, it's all put away. And that happens by faith. Uh, perhaps you remember Richard Nixon and Watergate. But you remember something the courts of these United States cannot remember. They cannot charge Richard Nixon with Watergate because in his first act as president, Gerald Ford pardoned, justified Richard Nixon. It's just as if Watergate had never happened. The Bible said we are justified by our faith. I came to Jesus Christ as a freshman in college and I was messed up in so many ways going wrong paths, but God had been dealing with me that the way I was going was a, a bad way and that's gonna have a bad end. So in a service like this, I came by faith. I asked God to forgive me of my sins, of my rebellion against him, about living my own life. And I received him, I said, I accept you as the son of God who died on the cross for me and I receive you now as my savior I, by faith. Now I was baptized and joined the church and became a preacher and a lot of stuff later, but none of that justified me. I was justified when I came as a messed up sinner to the foot of a cross, so to speak, where Jesus died for me and I accepted him, I received him as my savior. And read the rest of this verse. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, peace was declared, not because of anything I did, but because of everything Jesus did. Between a holy God and a messed up Jerry Thorpe, the cross and faith brought us together. And I was justified, declared righteous. Not because I am righteous, I'm not, I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner who's been saved by the grace of God. Oh, I have now peace with God. Now that's what God does for any of you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ. I mean, down in your heart of hearts, you know there's somebody out there. You know this life doesn't end at all. You know one step beside the grave you're gonna face. And if there's a heaven, there's got to be an alternative, and the alternative is pretty severe stuff. And you know, I really need a savior. I need a shepherd. I need God. You can come to him even tonight by faith. It was in a service like this that my life was changed. Just the simplest of prayers, just... I mean, you could pray it in your seat. You could walk to the front here after the service and just, just the simplest of God, I know I'm a sinner and right now by faith I accept you. And when that happens, you will discover amazingly peace with God. See, I had been struggling with this, but the night I accepted Jesus Christ, I walked out the door of that little church and for the first time in my life, I had peace with God. 
Now, I didn't know all the stuff about God that I know now, but I knew some stuff then, and one of the things I knew was I had peace. So after I'm justified, I not only have peace with God, but look at this other verse in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God. When you have peace with God, then God gives you the peace of God. And keep reading. Which surpasses all understanding. Who can understand it? Who can explain this peace that God gives? I don't know how many people I've talked to after services this morning that tell me of such difficult things they've gone through. But Jerry, I've had peace. Who can understand that? It passes all understanding, but it will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, I've been saved a long time now. Uh, I was saved when I was 18. I'm 82. So I've been saved a long time. And... Uh, I, ha I have peace in my heart. It's not anything of me. I'm not a super saint or anything. When God saved me, he gave me the peace of God. I read of a farmer who needed a, a hired hand. So he interviewed several guys and wasn't pleased. And finally he got a little desperate and this guy came and he said, well, what qualifies you? And the guy said, I'll tell you what qualifies me. I can sleep at night. He said, you can sleep at night. He said, yeah, I can sleep at night. That didn't make a lot of sense, but he was desperate, so he hired him. And a few nights later, there came an awful storm. I'm talking one of these West Texas murderous storms with hail and rain and wind and lightning and thunder. It was just horrible. And the, the farmer tried to wake up the guy, but he couldn't rouse him. So saying, I'll take care of him in the morning, he went out and said, I need to take care of things. And he went out in the driving rain and in the hail, and he said, I, I need to make sure the barn doors are securely closed. And the barn doors were already securely closed and locked. And he said, I got to make sure the hay is covered. And he went over and the hay was covered with canvas and tied down. He said, I better make sure the tractor's in the shed. And the tractor was in the shed and it was locked. And he looked around and there was nothing else for him to do. But go back inside and go to bed. And then he said, I understood what the hired man said when he said, I can sleep at night. All I can tell you as somebody who found Jesus Christ and made peace with God is that I also got the peace of God. I can't explain it all, but I'll tell you this, I can sleep at night because I've tried to take care of things with God. Jesus Christ said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives when you've just got your ducks in a row. That's not the peace I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why don't we believe that? Why don't we accept that peace? If we're Christians, why don't we accept that? Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Woo, what a verse. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he, not me, but he is able to keep what I've committed to him, my soul, my eternity, my life. I've committed to him against that day. Wow. So that's what I'm talking about in peace. Make peace with God and you get the peace of God. Now, our third thought is, when that happens, you're to be a messenger of peace. Paul writing in Galatians 5 said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and the third one is peace. 
the fruit of an apple tree is apples, the fruit of a pear tree is pears. He said, when you're saved, the Spirit of God lives within you, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God is within you when you accept Jesus Christ. And he said, there's fruit. There ought to be things that are happening in your life because of that. I'll mention three. You're to be a peacemaker, first of all, to those without Jesus Christ. See, you all walk out of here this morning and you go to neighborhoods, you go to families, some of you go to schools tomorrow, you go to jobs, you go to clubs, you go with friends, you have influence. Romans 10 said, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I just can't tell you how important it is that you represent the peace you have of Jesus Christ wherever you are. I'm not talking about carrying a family Bible and being a holy roller. I'm just talking about the way you live and your attitude and your great faith and your, all the things that you are. There's something about you that's peaceful because of Jesus Christ. I'm different because of Jesus Christ. Uh, I preach it in some large churches and, and one of the things I've done, a little survey, I've tried to take a survey to let people know how important your personal witness is. Witnesses are just sharing what's happened to you. It's one beggar showing another beggar where he found the bread. Witnessing is just letting people see that Jesus Christ is real in you. And uh, so I've wondered what are the biggest influences that bring people to Christ? So I would say, how many of you were saved because of a television preacher? Would you raise your hand? And maybe one, sometimes two in a crowd of a thousand. Well, how many of you were saved because of a radio? You listen to the radio. There's lots of radio preaching, a lot of TV preaching, a lot of money spent on that. How many of you were saved because of a radio preacher? And there might be one. And how many of you were saved because somebody gave you a track? And I think giving out tracks is wonderful. But I hardly find anybody that found Jesus because of that. Or did you find Jesus because you were going through a, like a farm to market road and sometimes out in the country, they paint rocks that say, Jesus saves. Or, or they put up little wooden signs that has something encouraging like turn or burn. Did you ever see one of those? <laughs> turn or burn, that'll stop you right there in your tracks. And nobody. And then I say, how many of you, when you discover the reason or think about the reason that you know Jesus Christ, somebody's face appears. Could be a family member, a friend, somebody you went to school with, but somebody represented Jesus, shared their faith, shared their love, and you found Jesus because of somebody. And I'll guarantee you, I've never been in any of those that 99% of that crowd said, I found Jesus because somebody in my life was a peacemaker. One of the people that I love that parachurch organization are the Gideons. The Gideons are people like you, members of a local church that band together, go to other churches, raise money, and they buy Bibles. And you've probably never been in a hotel room. You pull out a drawer. There'll be a Bible. Thank God. There've been a lot of people saved because those Bibles are there. And it was put there by the Gideons. And they give them to soldiers. And they also give them to prisoners. And they made the discovery that... Uh, that the prisoners liked the little Gideon New Testament because it was the right size and they could tear out the page and whatever contraband, if they had some tobacco, okay, if they had dried orange peels or whatever they had, they would roll it and they would smoke the pages of the New Testament. 
Well, I have a friend that's a chaplain of a big city, a sheriff's department and, and has a jail involved. And he said, this Gideon man was there and he was passing out Bibles and a guy came up and he said, I would like one of your New Testaments. And he said, well, why do you want the New Testament? And he said, well, I'm gonna be honest, I wanna smoke it. <laughs> and so the, the Gideon was smart. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the New Testament if you promise me you read every page before you smoke it. And so the guy promised and said, I'll, I'll promise you I'll do that. So it was several months later, he's back, and, and this guy, he noticed, he, when he, he realized he was familiar, he came up, big smile on his face, and he said, hey, you remember me? I'm the guy that promised you I would read every page in the New Testament before I smoked it. And he said, well, how'd that work out? He said, well, I smoked Matthew, <laughs> and then I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke, and then John smoked me, <laughs> and I got saved. Isn't that a great story? And you know why I got saved? Because somebody was a peacemaker in that jail. Be a messenger of peace to those without Christ. Second, let me take a moment. Be a, be a messenger of peace in your home. Guys, the most important thing in your life outside of your faith in Jesus Christ is your marriage and your family. And peace in the home begins with a good marriage and a good marriage begins with good people who bring peace. But a lot of times after we get married, we live for ourselves more than... I heard Andy Stanley preaching not long ago and he said, in our marriages make love a verb. Love, a verb is action. It's doing something. But we want to make it like a noun where everything comes to the noun in our marriage. I asked a guy one time, uh, tell me five things you could do to make your marriage better. And he said, well, preacher, that's easy. If my wife would do this and this and this and this and this. And I said, well, but I didn't say five things your wife could do. Tell me five things you could do to make your marriage better. Making love a verb in your life, not a noun. When I was passing no desk, an old boy walked to me and he said, yeah, preacher, I've been married five times. I've just had five bad women. I said, I don't think that's your problem, Jack. I think the problem is probably five bad women, five good women had you. You see, a good marriage is so beautiful. When your marriage is right, everything else in your life will be in order. And when your marriage gets messed up, everything gets messed up. And aside from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please listen, there is nothing, nothing that will bring you more personal joy and satisfaction and good health and peace than a long marriage relationship. My wife was here with us last night. Her name is Freddie. She's a girl. <laughs> She's a girl. You know something? Freddie and I married when we were kids. She's from Arkansas. She graduated Friday night. We married Monday night. We may, waited a lot longer than most of those Arkansas girls that I knew had waited. And you know something? First time I saw her, I was youth director of the church and she walked up the stairs and I said, who, 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 who was that? And said, that's Freddie Mae Langston. I called her that afternoon and asked her if she'd go to church with me that night. 
And we dated for 18 months, had to get her out of high school. <laughs> and we got married. You know what we're doing now? We're working on our 61st year of marriage, 61 years. And you know something? I love her so much. As I get older and she gets older, I understand more and more the pain that so many of you have in this building who are widowed, that you loved and you loved and then you lost them. And how did you go on without them? I understand that. I don't understand it completely because that hasn't happened. But I just think about that because she means so much to me. I'm not a perfect husband. She's a perfect wife, but I'm not a perfect husband. But boy, she has brought such joy. Of all the other things in my life that don't amount to a hill of beans, the one thing that mounts to a hill of beans is Freddie Mae. James said, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'll give you one little other piece of advice on this. In the years I pastored, we had the largest church in the city and, and these kids come to be married and they'd say, I'd say, why do you think you love each other? Oh, Jerry, we, we, uh, we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Okay, I know. We do. We fell in love communicating, communicating, communicating. It's how we got to know each other how we fell in love. We talked and talked and talked. But sometimes in our marriage, the first thing that breaks down is we quit communicating. We quit talking like we talked when we were dating. And it's the man who quits talking. Women don't quit talking. <laughs> it's the man who quits talking. But please listen to James. Be swift to hear. Look her in the eye. Be interested in what she's saying. Let her talk. You be slow to speak. You're not trying to outshout each other. Be very slow to anger. See, when you quit communicating by talking, you'll start communicating by conflict, and that's not where you want your marriage to go. So be a peacemaker in your marriage. Let me hurry on. My last thought, be a peacemaker in your society. Paul said, if it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. I love the first President Bush who called for Americans in his inauguration to be a kinder and gentler nation by being a thousand points of light. At your work, bring peace. Don't be the grouchy gut. Don't be the one that's always mad, the one that's always complaining, the always wanting more. At your work, bring peace. And at your school, bring peace. And in your neighborhood, bring peace. And at your HOA, which generally needs peace, bring peace. And at your job, bring peace. Abraham Lincoln said, die when I may. I would like it said of me that I always pulled a weed and planted a flower where I thought a flower would grow. Two golfers one day playing on the links and one said to the other, you know something? I have a question I've always wanted to ask God. And his friend said, what's the question? He said, I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, injustice, and hunger when he could do something about it. He said, well, why don't you ask God? Well, he said, I'm, it's because I'm afraid God would ask me the same thing. Why do I allow hunger and poverty and injustice? 
when I could do something about it. Bring peace to your society, your home, your church. Uh, my last thought is just a few words. What's the merit of peace? What's the good thing about living peacefully? Matthew 5, 9, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You hear me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they'll be just like their father. They'll be their father's child. That simply means you live like your heavenly father. Now, before you go, I want to return again to what changed my life, and that's Jesus Christ. And in a crowd like this, I know there's probably many of you, some of you dads, some of you husbands, some of you wives, mothers, some of you guys in school. Jesus Christ is not a reality to you. I wouldn't join the church when I was a little kid, but Jesus Christ, I just went to some other kids. It was when I was a freshman in college that he became a reality to me. Here's the best illustration I could give you. Billy Graham was called to Walter Reed Army Hospital to the bedside of Dwight David Eisenhower. Dwight David Eisenhower is one of the most important people in the world. He was a five-star general. He was the supreme commander at D-Day when we landed our troops on Normandy Beach. Dwight, Dwight David Eisenhower was the supreme commander and he's the 34th president of these United States, but he's dying. He's an important man, accomplished huge things, but he's dying. Mr. Graham said Eisenhower had a big smile on his face, but he knew he didn't have long to live. And he said this, Billy, I want you to tell me how I can know my sins are forgiven and that I'm going to heaven because nothing else matters now. Tell me how I know my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. Some of you need to do that this morning. You need to raise to your heavenly father and say, Father, I ask you to forgive me and come into my life and change me. I'm gonna say a brief prayer and after the prayer, there'll be people standing along here at the front, good people of this congregation. Why don't you do what I did that night? I don't care if all the presidents who ever lived was in that little church, I was gonna get things right with God that night. Why don't you just come to one of these people and say, I'd like to know that I'm saved. Or maybe you're going through time, you're going through really tough times, just come and let them pray with you for peace in your life. Will you do it? They'll be here, why don't you join them? Father, what a joy to preach to this church. What a great people. Thank you for peace. Dear God, give us peace by making peace with you so we can have the peace of God. Bless this congregation with your goodness in this new year and we will thank you in Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.